Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast with Tim Stone, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one lesson you can apply to your life from this episode. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone here with our special guest, Mr. Gary Cardone. Uh, Gary, I appreciate you taking the time to be here. I'll, I'll give a quick intro, but people probably recognize the last name if they listen to me. Uh, I've learned a lot about Grant Cardone, your twin brother, um, in my career. It's helped me a lot, but you are a very successful entrepreneur who's a lot less on Instagram than your brother. People don't really know the story, so I'm super excited to dive into it. Hear what you've learned, uh, the path you've taken to build your businesses and your success. So. Thanks for being here. Uh, let's let's dive into your story. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. Just went through uh, this little hurricane that rolled through uh, Florida. So uh, uh, we, we're all safe and good. That's good. It, it's pretty rough. For, further south of you was worse or? Oh, no, I think further up north. Further north. Uh, but I mean, we've got we've got places that are flooded down here that it, it just was a lot of water. So it, it's one of the one of the things of uh, I, I read something last night, and it, something about being prepared for the storm. And the guy said, you don't prepare for a storm when you live in Louisiana, Florida. You prepare for the after the storm. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're prepared, it's it's usually pretty good. So, yeah, but family safe, everything covered. Just. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good. Well, I, I'd love to uh, love for you to catch me up to speed on your story. Um growing up in Louisiana then to where you're at now, uh, building your successful businesses and career to take me back to how you ended up at this point. Yeah, sure. Uh, and if my audio fails at any time, just let me know. Uh, well, Grant and I, you know, we, we grew up in Louisiana with uh, really raised by a single mom after uh, our dad died uh, when we were nine or 10. I think it was nine. He keeps saying 10, but Seems to me like it was nine years old. Anyway, whatever it was, it was it was catastrophic to two young boys. We had an older brother. He would die five years later than that incident. Um, and that just really, you know, I think it, it uh, you can tell when you look on a you know linear line uh, that something changed around that event. Um, and I, I, I would say that that death and the trauma that it put through the family probably made Grant and I. So, you know, those old sayings of, hey, you don't really know what really makes someone. I mean, we have relatives that probably were in a better position financially, education-wise, to build emotionally stable, to expand their, you know, their platform. And they didn't, and I'm not, I, I don't, really judge anybody for what they decide to do in life. But I do find it really interesting that uh, two guys that grew up with a single mom uh, took extremely different pathways. And that that's one of the, I think one of the cool things about Grant and I is that uh, it is an exa- really good example where at least if you, the children have the fundamentals of being able to work hard, show up to work, have respect for your elders, have respect for people that know more than you do. Um, 
Grant and I took extremely polarized path. I, I, at 21, I went, I studied marketing and economics. Um, we were both troublemakers in school. We were both bored to death. Today, they would have put us both on heavy duty drugs uh, just because we had that, you know, even back to high school, I felt like my, I was just wasting so much time. I just was not engaged. Uh, and, and it's funny because like last night, I uh, just went through a really, really rough divorce. Uh, and when you do that, you got young kids. It's like, I'm really careful about how much damage that's done to them. This is not one of my successful mm -hmm. items. This is one of the things people don't tell you about running businesses, right? Like there's expenses. But it's real. This, this is real, dude. There's expenses that most entrepreneurs never talk about. I really try to talk about the struggle and the loneliness of being an entrepreneur. Uh, Cause I think too many people believe that they should all be entrepreneurs. And I do not believe that. I was not ready at 21 to 28 years old. I was not ready to run my own business. If I would have met Tony Robbins or Grant Cardone and somebody said, hey, you need to run your business, it would have been absolutely horrific advice. The best advice that uh, I would give anyone is find the right platform for you, for your personality and your skills. Uh, I left college, went to Texas, got a job at a really uh, impressive oil and gas company. I had no background in oil and gas, so I was grateful to get a job. I think it was 30 mm -hmm. grand or something. Um, began working my way up this really, really big, large industry. It was very complicated. And uh, three years into it, I realized, hey, I, I, I'm going to die here, right? I like Yes, my resume looks good with this company. Um, I've got some bosses, but like they're like, this is not the right place for me. It, it, it was a little bit like Michael Jordan trying to play baseball, right? I just, mm. it wasn't in the right spot. And there was a company called Natural Gas Clearinghouse that had been formed. And one, I love the name. I was like, gosh, man, I know what they're going to do. They're going to clear natural gas. It happened to be the field I was in. Uh, and that would be the first startup I would join. That was at 26 or 27. After that, I would never, ever join anything other than startups or I would build startups. So since the age of 26 to today, all I've ever done is build startups in really, really big industries. And unlike Grant, our pathway, I have never dealt with consumers. Grant was, you know, focused on initially focused on selling cars. And I think that pathway fast forward 20 or 30 years, you know, that pathway when Facebook became available and social media, he really hit Grant really a bit like Trump really saw the opportunity to exploit. And I really take my hat off to him. He exploited a window. I, I, I see the world in little windows. I do some painting and it's amazing how many windows and doors I have in my paintings, but I see little windows in, in businesses uh, that you, you, like I'm in a business right now and I know this window is open, wide open. I mean, this window is so wide open, uh, but people have got to remember, hey, these windows don't stay open forever. Like you need to move on these windows really, really fast. It just so happened that Natural Gas Clearinghouse was one of those windows. 
I was the 12th employee. Everyone said, don't do that. That's insanity, dude. Like you need to work for Coke hydrocarbons or, you know, Exxon. Well, I was going to die working for these companies. So I would have a 401k, which is what my mom told me. Hey, just, just go get a good job with a good company, work there for the rest mm-hmm. of life. Um, I went to work for these guys. I think I was number 12, would spend the next 17 years there. Uh, and this is the message to your audience. Hey, you don't have to own your own company. You don't have mm-hmm. to be alone. I went to work for guys that were smarter than me. They had a vision a little bit earlier than me, and they were more mature than I was. I was a very immature 26-year-old. Probably I was a very immature 45-year-old. <laughs> um, I've always been a little immature. Now, we can, we can you know, bitch about that. But if you see the people I hang around with, they're all 35 and 40 year old guys. OK, so and my kids hang, like hanging out with me because I'm a bit of an immature kid guy. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes being immature, OK, may not fit in business. Um, but look, for me, I was not interested in changing who I am as a human being. So I could get a pay, pay stub. I, I like I'm not going to do that. OK, so like the, the first key for me has always been. I am not going to get into a trap and I'm most certainly not going to allow a career to trap me and most certainly will not allow a 401k to trap me. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or ego or, Oh, look, he, look, he's a senior vice president at XYZ mobile energy company. And isn't he a hotshot? Like I need to be able to make a difference, enjoy the people I'm working around. Um, and feel like, you know, this is my part of my duty in life. This is one of the things that I'm doing. I don't do it for money. I do it actually for, and I think if you don't do it for money, you're, you're probably going to make more money because um, I'm doing it as a game, right? Like I don't play baseball. I don't, I don't have, I don't play tennis. I, me and Grant do not have a lot of hobbies. Why would I have a lot of hobbies, dude? I'm in the most exciting game on the planet. Uh, the only problem with it is it's global and it never turns off. So uh, for me, building these businesses, I find to be really, really fascinating. It's a pain in the ass. It's a lot of work. Most of the time you're asking yourself, why the hell did you do this? Uh, you're grossly underpaid most of the time. And you're scared. You're terrified. Uh, like I have been terrified my whole life building these things because the type of businesses I build, no one wants them. Like I move into markets that need a guy like me. The market has been managed and manufactured too long by too few players. Hmm. So what do you mean when you say nobody wants them? Well, the business, people don't like the industries. I'm a disruptor. Okay. So the only thing I know how to do, like, first off, my first job leaving college, Grant and I graduated at the very top of the boomer cycle and it was at the top of the recession 1976 top of the recession it was horrible now i look back now i never had any problems in any of these recessionary events i had some liquidity problems but i didn't go broke i still got a paycheck i was still able to pay for my car nobody died the stock market went down 50 percent shit i'm not at 30 years old i'm not exposed to the stock market so it didn't really like people get all jacked up over some stuff Liquidity is always a problem in that, you know, when these markets, Mm -hmm. however, if you can build businesses and you've only ever built businesses in recessions, 
like I'm pretty, I had this anti-fragile is a big deal for me. And anti-fragile is really the definition for someone, you know, a kid whose parents allowed him to get bruised, battered and bullied. And guess what? He grows up when he's 30 years old and he doesn't get abused, battled and battered and bullied at Goldman Sachs. And he's the president of derivative trading. Okay, so he was he was able to learn how to toughen up today. And me and Grant definitely got like we were Mm. we got beat up all the time and made fun for our accents, uh, our lack of education. So the industries I've gone into because of the natural gas clearinghouse uh, opportunity, which would turn into a Fortune 30 company in less than seven years. Okay, like a Fortune 30, we're talking a unicorn, a $30 billion unicorn when money was real. Okay, this is in 1989. Okay, money was real back then. Um, $30 billion was like, whoa, now we got unicorns popping up. You know, you, you, you launch a token and it's, it's a unicorn times 15. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It doesn't provide any discipline. Um, we could barely make our bills. Uh, so, so what we were doing in the natural gas complex was we were trying to uh, add competitive forces to that marketplace. Uh, that the energy sector, the payments industry, which would be the second industry I'd move into, and now the digital asset industry. Um, all of those are controlled by very, very small groups of people. So, in the energy complex, it's called an oligopoly because there's a multitude of energy players. They all look like they're competing with each other, but in reality, you know, their cost is the same as the other guys. So they just want the hot, they want $90 oil. Okay. Um, everybody wants $90, $90 oil. Um, everybody wants to just do just slightly better than their peers. So their stock price does better than the other guy. And every one of these guys are working on a 90 day earning strength, trying to build billion dollar companies, which is like the first, the moment I have to compete, with a public company doing quarterly earnings and I'm a private company, I already have a massive advantage. And, and many of your people will go, Oh, it's Exxon, man. They're public. They're big. They're huge. Like they could crush us. That's a weakness. No, no, that's it. That's an opportunity for you. They cannot move quickly. And these markets, when they go through disruptive phases, they move very, very, very quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they move slowly, 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 and then all of a sudden, boom, quickly, right? You know, slowly, slowly, and then all of a sudden, hey, it's right here in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would spend 17 years there, realized three years into that, that all the guys above me, we're 600 people now. Two years later, 600 people. I mean, we're going to be a rocking star. Every one of my old buddies are saying, hey, Gary, you know, you should never have gone to work for the clearinghouse. I mean, you're not going to have, you're not going to have a pension. You're not going to have this. You know, you're not going to get paid one day, blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, I retired at 41 years old working for this little startup. Retired. I mean, like, OK, I'm done. I don't have to work ever again in my life. Um, and every one of those people are still working. Now, maybe some of those people really want to work. I'm still working. I love working. Uh, mm-hmm. But many of those people are still working pretty much the same job they were in because their family and their 401k became more important 
than the role they were playing in their life. And that might have been the right decision for them. It would have been the wrong decision for me. I needed to move into a market where I could uh, flex my muscles. I have particular, I think everyone has a particular core set of skills and gifts they come to this planet with, and most people never discover. Um, mm. But when I discovered mine, I'm like, okay, hey, that's a gift, that's a gift, and that's a gift. How about if I just focus on my gifts and I will hire other people who were given other gifts that aren't overlapping my gifts, details, organizational structure, uh, more details, holding meetings, putting stuff together, writing a letter properly, checking the grammar, right? all that stuff. I just want to fly through it because I'm a creative person. So I need to like just like and I've had to learn this over over years. Hey, what am I really great at? Um and I'm able to focus on what I'm really great at and get buddies uh, or staff around me that can make up for my weaknesses. I do not believe a CEO, a founder, or anyone else has to be perfect. Okay. I think you have to actually know that you're not perfect and that, that I'm not great at a lot of things. But man, those few things that I'm great at, I am absolutely a genius on. Um, and that's the whole key to success. Yeah, and you can that's delegate the other stuff and just only do what you're good at. If you can, that. but yeah. if you can. See, some yeah. people, some people, they don't like, they don't know themselves. And, and so people ask me, hey, like, what's the first thing that somebody should do as an entrepreneur? Hey, go hire a psychologist, somebody that can get in your face and that you are scared to talk to. Uh, and learn about yourself. You know, uh, The Art of War, I think one of the, a must read for every entrepreneur. Uh, it says, know thy enemy. That's what everybody said. Hey, know thy enemy. Yeah, but look, reread it, okay? It says, know thy enemy, but know thyself first. Okay, I have to know what my strengths and weaknesses are as a human being, and then I can assess, oh, that guy's got some problems, right? Uh, he's got a weakness. Um, so that that for me was um, the the when I was 28 or 29, I realized all the guys above me, 10 of them were all my age. Um, in a small little organization like that, you know, whatever you come to the table with, everybody remembers it from day one and they never let you forget it. Oh, Gary's a dick. Gary's too aggressive. Gary's it. <laughs> 10 years later, I could be the up. I've matured. I've gotten better. Right. I say one thing like the F word. And Oh, there he goes again, Mr. Aggressor. <laughs> Can't ever forget it, right? Um, anyway, I put my hand up and I said, hey, look, uh, I actually do a lot of writing when I build these businesses. And I uh, wrote down, literally just came out of my hand. I said, I'm going to run an energy company in Europe. Three months later, I have no idea why I wrote that down. I still do not know why that I wrote that down because there is no way for me to be where I was at 28 to be running an energy business in Europe. Three months later, uh, British Gas PLC, the largest energy company in Europe, bought 25% of us. Hmm. As soon as I was told about it, I said, hey, can I go to London and help? I want to move to London and I want to help British Gas, our new partner. Six, they, my, staff, my managers laughed at me. They said, dude, your accent? <clears throat> We're not sending you to London, dude. You're, you, you would destroy our partnership with these people. They offered 599 people at Natural Gas Clearinghouse to go to London. Not one of them would go. 
because nobody, remember, 12 people went to 600 in two and a half years. Nobody yeah. wanted to leave the mothership. I'm sitting here going, mothership. Spend me. Mothership's going to drown me. The mothership isn't built for guys like me. See, I understood really early on, I am a Navy SEAL kind of guy. Don't put me in a big complement of people. You need to put me on the front end where, you know, there's a good likelihood that I'm going to lose my shoulder. I'm going to get shot in my leg and I'm going to be a quadriplegic. I like, you know, put me in the most high risk situation, the tip of the spear where I'm developing a marketplace. Um, anyway, I end up there. Um, I would spend, I went there on a six month contract. I spent 10 years there, never came back, went there, never told them this, but went there on a one way ticket believing they would never bring me back. I'm like, this is a one-way trip, dude. I'm going to Mars. There is no re-entry program back into this small little company. When I come back here, this big company, it's going to be a monster company, and everyone will have forgotten me. So I'm going to use the UK as my, my launching pat, uh, platform for Gary Cardone, and it will greatly benefit this company. Well, Dynagy would become a Fortune 30 company, public, publicly traded company, First startup I get involved with, we go public. I didn't sell a drop of stock for for 17 years. One afternoon, my boss said, hey, we're going to make a billion dollars in cash next year. And I knew that was absolutely outrageously stupid. Uh, Might have been good to tell the analyst, but you were never going to accomplish it. I sold all my stock that afternoon. Literally dumped all of it. Sell everything. Just dump it all. Had 60 or $70 million worth of call options that were given to me over those years. And called my boss and said, hey, I'm giving you six months notice. I've sold all my stock. I'm done. Uh, gave them six months to, you know, get the company in England really prepped. That, that business was now doing $6 billion a year. I mean, it started with one per, one person. We probably took 250 million pounds sterling out of the UK energy market in cash. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was a really, truly unbelievable opportunity for me, uh, learning about supply and demand and the power that one human being can make. When I sold all the stock, I moved back here because I had predicted that this particular industry that I was in that paid me so very well had flatlined and it was not going to go anywhere. What was it you saw that that made you think that? Well, with just unrealistic expectations in the industry. Like there, you can't grow companies forever. Okay, like people on Wall Street act like there's infinite growth, but nothing grows infinitely. You reach a point of diminishing returns. Um, First, I had learned almost everything I needed to learn about that that industry. Um, I knew once I know where the game's going, I start to get a little bored. So once the dominoes, once you set something in, in motion, if it's a really big play, it begins to have its own life. Um, I've been fortunate enough. This is going to sound extremely arrogant. I don't mean it to, but I've been fortunate enough to be in three, four places at the exact right time that offered Gary Cardone, for whatever reason, the gods of commerce pit me 
that I could participate in a market and be really, really, really relevant to that marketplace. Uh, in the energy complex, there were 50 men on planet Earth that changed the way energy moves around this planet. I, I mean, literally 50 guys, and very few of them were oil and gas people with long histories of, hey, I'm an oil man, I drill, or I build transmission. Like, no, it was the commercial guys, 50 guys like me. We started putting commercial pressure. Markets break up for three reasons. Regulatory pressure to deregulate and create competition. Okay, so regulatory forces that break up a paradigm. What's a paradigm? Credit card industry is a paradigm. This is the way it works. Visa and MasterCard are the gods and the kings and the queens. And all these players are sitting on a table, right? And, and this is the little game. Think about a monopoly game. It's no different. It's exactly like Monopoly, okay? You got all these people on the board. Uh, but every market goes through disruption, goes through disruption for three reasons. One, regula regulation. Usually, the indigenous players have taken a little bit too much fat out of the marketplace for too long. They're starting to do a cost plus. Hey, the more money I spend, the more money I make. Isn't this awesome? Guess who gets to pay for it? You do. Um, so there's no competition. When you remove supply and demand, from the equation. And by removing supply and demand, I mean removing the, the, the communication, the sound waves that occur between supply and demand. If that harmony isn't there, harmonic isn't there, if that noise between supply and demand isn't there, I will show you a market that most certainly is being controlled by a small group of people. Okay, so transparency is an indicator or lack of transparency is an indicator of a club structure. The energy that 50, those 50 guys would go on to use commercial uh, pressure to push this club of people into new behaviors, okay? Which is, hey, do you wanna sell all your energy at $3 or do you wanna sell 20% of your energy at $6? I'm pretty sure you're going to sell it all. Like, you know, when you drill for energy, you need to get it out of the ground and then turn it into something else. You don't need the energy back. You want to turn it into something else, right? Usually fiat money. Uh, so regulations broke up the entire energy complex. Guess who fixed it? The energy market around the world today in first world countries is basically a, a Dynegy, Enron, uh, about four four different companies construct. The UK energy complex was three people wrote it, and I'm one of them with with one of the energy ministers. I mean that that's the most solid, reliable market in the world today. Uh, literally developed by three or four people, and one of them was a Yank. Um, so so and so that the, these marketplaces need creative disruptors. I don't think I'm destroying anything. I'm actually creating uh, whole industries. That was the point I was trying to make. I tend to go into industries that like it creates a whole industry. Now, now there's a whole energy marketing and trading, risk management, hedging. Uh, but for me, the game was over, right? Uh, the, the maximum amount of damage I was going to create in that space was already done. I was also not happy. I was... I had 600 people working for me. I was making $7 million a year, had a driver, had helicopters and airplanes. I'm 41 years old. 
I don't work on Fridays. I work Monday through Thursdays. I work in a 400 year old mill house in the middle of the country in England. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing this for? And, and like, you need to ask yourself that. Okay. Like don't get all like, Hey, I'm doing this because I'm the CEO. That is the wrong answer. Oh, I'm doing this because this opportunity was given to me. Wrong answer. Right. I'm doing this because I love doing this. So I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm doing this because I make $7 million and every ego need that I have ever had, I'm getting, I'm, I'm like Exxon Mobil now has to call me and ask me to store energy, their energy. Uh, like, but I'm not really having fun. This isn't what God put me on this planet for. So I called my boss up and I said, look, I think I can recreate myself if I have to. Um, I'm done with this industry. And literally I was done with it. The same way I was said, hey, I'm on a 10 year, I'm, I'm on a one way ticket. Um, saying no to that world allowed me to unhandcuff myself from that world. I moved back here and I spent four years just studying religion, history, myself, mostly myself. Hmm. Um, who am I? And uh, after about three or four years of that, I got bored. Oh, boredom's showing up. This is a very consistent thing with me. Like I embrace it now. The boredom showed up and I ran, ran into a woman who's in the, the payments industry and we built a half a billion dollar business uh, in a 35 year old, grossly mature, grossly broken industry called the payments industry that I knew nothing about whatsoever. Not a, I didn't know what the difference between a credit card and a debit card was. Uh, but we, we saw a problem. I looked at chargebacks and went, what the hell? A chargeback is something when somebody buys something online, they call up and go, hey, that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Whether they meant to or not, it's a chargeback and it's really painful. With my commodity viewpoint, my experience in commodities and markets, uh, I, I predicted that you could not continue with the chargeback problem with the way payments, where payments was going, right? So for me, I was able to look at this from a 30,000 foot view, which is really my, my gift is to look at something from a really high level and say, hey, I think there's a business opportunity right here. And, and let's, go, let's go fix this. And it's all around risk management, fraud, forensics, the stuff that you wouldn't normally think a trader would be interested in, I have always found really fascinating because it's in the numbers, it's in the money, it's in the math. It's transactions. It's, it's the transactions. You begin to see people doing things like, hey, why did you do that when you could have done something differently? Um, so the, the, the payment business came along. I saw that as a, a tremendous opportunity where all the credit card people were like, hey, yeah, these chargebacks, you know, it's just the cost of doing business. Well, at any time I've ever heard anyone use that phrase, there are two things. One, they're making money from it every time. Cost of doing business. The guy's actually receiving premium. And uh, the other guy, it's costing someone else a significant amount of money, right? Like it's, it's painful. So I looked at it and said, look, it's not a cost of doing business. But more importantly, it's not sustainable. You cannot have e-commerce doing this. Okay, card absent transactions, margins collapsing. So I have a formula, all right? 
And sorry I bounce around so much, but my mind's like this. Anytime you introduce transparency, transparency, okay, meaning you and I can see between prices, supply, and demand. Anytime you introduce transparency into any market, one thing and only one thing happens every time. Commoditization begins to occur. What is commoditization? Commoditization is when a product doesn't have any more value over the number two or three product. One barrel of oil is one barrel of oil is one barrel of oil. One bottle of water is one bottle of water. One U.S. dollar is one U.S. dollar. And one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, right? They are fungible, okay? So you're hearing these non-fungible. We'll, we'll get into that, but it's, mm. it's a fungible product. Um, when, when transparency is introduced into an industry, the commoditization starts to take effect, Okay. An oil barrel is an oil barrel. Exxon's not going to receive a premium because their oil is marked with Exxon Mobil versus XYZ Criminal, who also has a barrel of oil. Dude, they're a barrel of oil. It doesn't matter. It's going to burn the same. Okay. You cannot margins collapse every time. This is a formula. Okay. Transparency, commoditization, margin collapse. I mean, a massive margin collapse. And this is what the legacy players hate. And this is why people don't like me in, in their industries, because like, uh-oh, the margin guy is showing up, right? Yeah, no, the truth guy is showing up. Because supply and demand is going to really tell people what they're really able to achieve in a margin um, perspective. And you can't charge a premium if you don't offer anything premium, right? Just because you're ExxonMobil does not mean you're premium we just developed this market. It's a piece of paper. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's credit is exactly the same. So the margins collapse. The legacy players always fight that. Uh-uh. And this is their big mistake. They fight it for four years, and the rest of us keep going. And this is what's happening in digital assets right now. The legacy players are fighting. They're going to wake up three years later going, shit, I should have spent more time building than fighting. And now I'm not four years behind. I'm seven years behind. And look at Gary Cardone just built another $70 million revenue business. Right. And then they're going to have to come and buy. Um, so margins collapse, volumes explode. And this is what all the legacy guys forget. Like, dude, just go study some history. This is why I study history, right? Study history. Margin collapse is not a bad thing. If your volumes 10 the problem for the legacy players, he doesn't want to talk to the 23-year-old Wall Street analyst and answer the question, hey, my EBITDA is falling. It's getting compressed because I'm cannibalizing my own business because my business is going through a commoditization event. <laughs> Who's going to say that? Dude? Nobody wants to say that. Mm. Hey, my industry that's receiving a, a, I mean, Visa gets a 51% net operating margin, 40-year-old company. Uh, uh, unbelievable, guy. Okay? Wow. Guarantee you, guarantee you, they're into the transparency problem in a big way because no 40 year old company trades at a 40x, a 51% net operating margin. Uh, and there's only one competitor. Uh, that, that whole world will come apart, right? Transparency is going to drive regulators into the Visa, MasterCard, card scene. This is way too much money for what you're doing. You don't provide insurance. You're not guaranteeing the transaction. Uh, what are you doing? You're just taking a clip. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. 
but it's a little bit like pipelines, right? There was a day when pipelines were closed to you. They were only available to the energy people. Uh, imagine the highways only being available for the rich, right? Oh, he's got a ticket. He gets to go. He's got that thing on it. So, so you know, open markets are beautiful because they allow all players to coexist. No one should have an advantage. And he who brings and delivers the greatest service and the greatest products with the, the greatest amount of reliability should win the day, right? Um, but winning the day shouldn't mean that you're charging inordinate margins and keeping others out from your, from your industry in a competitive environment. Uh, so I, I have always been very, 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 very comfortable with competition. Mm. I had no choice. Um, and what I've learned is that if you follow what you're put on this planet to do, whether you're supposed to be a soldier or a general, by the way, I don't know any great generals that haven't been great soldiers. So when you're, when your audience sits, sits there and go, Hey, I'm 22 years old. I just left college and I'm starting my, 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 my company. And, and you ask them, Hey, why are you starting a company? And there's no answer, right? Like, um, I, I just think that, that if I'm someone, I, I, I know the, the flavor of the day is start your own company, build your own company, build your own brand, be your own man. Yeah. But you, you were an the failure, the failure rate. The failure rate will go from 99 to 99.9 because you're not thinking about it. That's like saying, Hey, you're going to go to the major leagues without mm -hmm. going to farm league. Okay. Like, like it's fucking stupid. It's like, who is teaching these people anything, right? Don't go to college if you're not going to be a doctor or a rocket scientist or a bioengineer. Call me up, dude. Come work for me for a year, right? Um, and, and, like, I would have worked for these people at Natural Gas Clearinghouse for free. No, no problem. I, I have an investment banker named Steve McLaughlin. Um, I'd pay him 10 grand a day just to hang out with him. Okay, just to watch all the people he talks to. I, I would do that for a week. That would be a great education for me. So I think I think people should be looking at this very, very differently as they move into this universe because what is going to re be required in the future has nothing whatsoever to do with what you learned about yesterday. The future is going to be so different than where we came from. Uh, that I think like it's actually a big problem for you guys. Uh, I, I'm looking at this much older than you guys are. I'm like, whoa, this world, dude. This, this like, like, there are so many opportunities today that were not available. And then if you look at this from thirty thousand feet, you start saying, oh my god, dude, there's a lot of companies going to fail here. Mm -hmm. Massive failure. I don't think actually they're going to fail. They're just going to die and go away, and you're going to just forget them. Let me give you an example. Kodak. When was the last time you thought about Kodak? Hmm. Till I just, IBM. Ooh, ooh, IBM, man. IBM is an irrelevant company today. You haven't heard about IBM in at least three months, right? I used to hear about IBM every day. IBM, IBM, IBM. So it's a slippery slope, right? It's easy to become unimportant in a universe that's that's changing so radically. And if you don't think it's changing, uh, this little thing we have right here, this experience that you and I are having, 
we are in the metaverse. People keep talking about the metaverse is failing. I'm like, dude, this is the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Okay. It may not be all the clever shit that we would like. It may not be a hologram, but you and I had the choice to do a phone call and we chose to do this, right? There must be some value here for us that, that has not been achievable before, or maybe that culture of that world didn't want to do this. I know people that get on Zoom and they don't turn the camera on. I'm like, why right. did you even set up a Zoom call, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, like what, what world are you living in? You're resisting, aren't you? You're resist. See, this is transparency. See, see what's happening? Fucking transparency, man. Uh, and so I, I, I am certain that no one is safe here. And it, the larger you are, the less safe you are. I'm going to give you a very interesting example. On my telephone, the very telephone that changed uh, music. Would you agree with that? That Apple like had a monster play in changing music since they created the iPod, right? Yep. Fucking torched eight-track tapes, cassettes, torched it. Dude. Yeah. You won't right? believe it, but iPods have pretty much been around my whole life. Yeah. No, I do. I do believe <laughs> it. Okay. But the interesting thing is, why is it that I have four music applications on this telephone and I pay for three of them? The one I don't pay for, dude, is the one I don't use. And the one I don't mm. pay for is called Apple. Yep. Wow. They created the music compression. They made the iPod. And I'm using Spotify on the fucking telephone that they sent to me that was already preloaded with iPod, uh, the Apple. Explain that. I'm making three payments. I'm, I'm sure Yahoo's charging me. Yeah. Everybody's charging me, right? So this shows you that none of these markets are stable. Like you just have to like get in at the right time at the right place and have the right message. And there are 8 billion people. Okay, and this is the cool thing about the consumer business. Anyone that's a consumer guy, like you got to love this, man. I happen to, you know, be in the digital asset industry in a massive way, like in Bitcoin, blockchain. And that whole 8 billion unit population of people, I find extremely exciting because there's 8 billion people that are going to participate in this universe in some form or fashion as a producer, a consumer, or both. And that is a change the likes that 10,000 years on this planet, we have never experienced. At least 10,000 years, we have never had this opportunity with 8 billion people. We're going to find so many fucking Michelangelo's, man. Okay, like uh, imagine where Michelangelo would be today if he had not lived next to the Pope. Mm-hmm. So the proximity to power is the way you become known and rich and famous. Uh, the internet, Starlink, compression technology. Okay, like 30,000, 300,000 telephone uh, music forms. It doesn't matter. I can store it all now, right? And it's getting better and it's getting even like more compression. Dude, this is a whole different game now. It is is a, and I don't think anyone's ready for it Uh, except for, well, there's, except for maybe some of the trillionaires that have been developed from technology world. 
But that is another problem that, that the legacy players and le- by legacy, I mean government bodies also, because I think that's going to get disrupted by blockchain. Mm-hmm. So this is, it, it makes sense to me now as you're explaining, they call it Web 3.0. Like it, it kind of sounds like the impact of the internet, but just at a different level. Because like the thing, there's so many people nowadays, artists, you know, music, painting, digital artists that have been f- discovered are making money changed their lives that you know ne- like you said never would have been found unless they lived next door to the pope uh through the internet so this is this is kind of like a further level because there's more utility to it or yeah yeah i mean uh, see see that's interesting that you because of the blockchain on. yeah but, well because well for 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 a lot of for a lot of reasons one, one is that, let's go back to the artist okay uh web, web 2. Point, web 1.0 and 2.0 pretty much decimated most every industry except for the financial industry. It actually put financial industry on steroids. Uh, and, and that's why Visa MasterCard makes so much money uh, in net operating terms, because it's, it's just not a heavy lift. It's, it, they don't have to put machines into buildings and, you know, it's just a very different, different thing. I just think that when 8 billion people get access to a market, first off, that market just grew. It's 8 billion in size. Like it's a market you, for instance, there are supposedly 400 million wallets holding digital assets. People don't think about it this way, but you ask an Indian or Chinese guy, hey, what market do you want to serve? And it's always one, the United States of America. Why? Because it's so big. Well, then you got to love Bitcoin because there's 420 million adults mm-hmm. that have KYC, AML. These are adults. These are not 99 year old people that are in a hospital dying. These are not 12 year olds. These are people that have money or something to sell. Uh, you you add, add a couple zeros. Now, now you have 8 billion people. Like these are addressable markets the likes no one's ever seen before. Um, and, and I think there's going to be a level of participation in those markets. Add on to that, that you could care less about any of the brands that were created in the last hundred years. You have zero, zero traction or retention related to brands that are old. Okay. And I think you're starting to see this happen to the less old, the Starbucks. People are starting to go, you know, that's kind of old now. Like, it's not really that special. So Budweiser, uh-oh, shit, man. A brand can have a problem in this world, huh? Mm-hmm. Because anyone can say anything about you right now, right? Like, it, it's everyone has a, the ability to become a brand and not to be, become a brand, have your brand destroyed. So I, I just think those are the there's so many things occurring right now that place politics at the very center of being disrupted. Uh, I think religions get disrupted. Communities are going to get disrupted. And by disrupted, maybe these are improvements. As long as we don't have censorship, I think this is really, really going to be awesome. Uh, if we don't have censorship, we're, I'm seeing media. It's, it's hilarious, uh, you know, this whole concept around blockchain and Bitcoin, centralization and decentralization. Media 
is being disrupted through quasi decentralization mm. uh, and the power of the heart. And I believe that you're going to see that mainstream media, CNN, Fox, ABC, these companies are going to take in the next 18 months the largest fucking painful cut of any industry. Yeah. Like we're going to go into the Trump, Biden, whoever presidency. We will never have an election ever, ever again like this. What's getting ready to happen? Yeah, it will change I, forever. I saw that the uh, the Republican debates had like 12.5 million viewers. And then the Trump Tucker Carlson interview got 230 million views on Twitter. Yeah. That's, they, did, they didn't pay for it. Dude. Yeah. They yeah. Re- recorded it, hit post. You, you know, it, it, it's a Google click. It's $2.69 average. And the average 30 minute, uh, no, 30 second TV ad is 15 bucks. Multiply that times 200 million. Yeah, that, that guy's a very bright guy. <laughs> he, he, see, see, he's a disruptor. He doesn't have to be a genius and he doesn't have to be smooth. He saw, I, I, Mark Cuban infuriates me because I actually like Mark Cuban, but I don't like Mark Cuban when he's 20 or 30 years younger than Trump and he bitches about Trump's pure wizardry to see what was happening in 2016 and realize, uh-oh, the internet is my window to the world. I'm going to speak at a fourth grade level, which everyone should learn how to do. Start speak. If you're an entrepreneur, speak at a fourth grade level. I do not need to know how smart you are. I need to know how smart you are at creating an image that other people can relate to. Hey, I have the sweetest lemonade in the history of mankind and it's got this little pink taste to it that that's the way you sell stuff right like at least you're getting oh wow lemonade why did he talk about lemonade well lemonade's a commodity but you have to figure out how to sell it right so i think you're going to see media massively disrupted if you're 25 years old and you're looking for something to do People go, go buy Bitcoin. You don't need to buy Bitcoin. You don't need to buy blockchain. You don't need to buy. There's a million jobs available in this industry that doesn't require any education whatsoever. This is the greatest opportunity in the history of man. You have more people from Wall Street moving into blockchain and the digital asset industry, which, by the way, Gary Gensler use the term, this is a sustainable asset class. Larry Fink says sustainable asset class. Their asset class, you need to understand what that means when a professional says it. It means it's like real estate. It's its own class that people will invest in and they're saying it's sustainable. So when you hear guys like me go, hey, this is a great opportunity, Listen to also what other information is coming out of here, right? Like this is a no brainer. You have 55 year old people going, wow, I don't have a job. I can be a job tomorrow. I I can literally hire 12 people tomorrow. Okay. What I can't do though is pay you $300,000 when you don't know anything working for a startup that's trying to become a billion dollar company in less than three years. And, and the guy that wants that, you know, fuzzy job, with 300 grand or 20 grand, or he wants to run his own business. Um, dude, the most important thing you can do 
is sit in a platform, become relevant in that platform, see a successful story in that platform, and, and then you can go on to maybe build a platform based on the experience, the things you learn. I mean, I have a guy in London who I took at 27 years old. I called his dad one day. I said, dude, these, your kid's really smart. Why are you sticking them in your little family business? I said, you're not. He said, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should pack his ass up and send him to me, dude. And, and I'll build him into a corporate beast. No college education. Uh, this guy spent now seven years with me. Uh, probably one of the most foremost payment experts in the world today. He's 32, I think. And uh, if you asked him to go build a business or come work for me tomorrow in this deal, in this new deal that I just invested in, Node 40, he'd come work for me. You know why? Because his, his ego hadn't got, oh, I got to go do my own deal. Actually, he's seen what it takes to do your own deal. He's like, man, I, Gary has some skills that I actually am never going to be good at. Okay, like I'm really good with a blank canvas. I do very little preparation anymore. Very little. Now, that's not meant to be arrogant, but I've learned, hey, I need to listen to the audience. What is it like when we started this? Your guys are going to be like, hey, this guy just talks a lot. Well, you talk mostly when, when we started. I was asking you, hey, what's your audience like and stuff like yep. that. So uh, I don't know why I shared the story about Ben, but I think Ben would take push his ego off to the side and go, hey, I think I want to go do it again with this guy because I think we could do it faster, better. And it's lonely, man. Okay. I, I think I think a big thing that now that entrepreneurship is the hot topic, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur is intrapreneurship. And it's like you're in the startup basically, but you're not the top guy. You don't you're not the guy worrying about payroll. You're not the guy hiring everybody. You get to be the creative thinker. You get to be out there hustling, growing the company, and usually there's you get a piece of the upside. But it it's you're part of a team. You're an intrapreneur instead of an entrepreneur. And, and like, that's really been, that's the story now for him. That was a story for you and the, the gas company. Like you didn't start it, but you were there from the start pretty much. And you helped grow it and you got a piece for helping grow it. But it, like, you didn't have to figure out how to start a gas company. Well, and, and just because I wasn't in the in club with Steve and Chuck and, and, and uh, those guys. Mm -hmm. Now I could have easily looked at it and went, oh, you know, I'm going to start my own. I would have totally failed. Right. I, I didn't, I think, oh, I wish I had been there six months ago. I did. I went and worked there. They were smart. Like, put your ego off to the side. Funny thing, me saying, I think the ego gets, gets you into a lot of trouble. Uh, I was able to sit there, and this is my message to you, your, your people. Get, man, dude, get a platform. There are so few great platforms that allow people, like, if you came to work for me tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, look, I don't want you doing that. Don't want you doing that. Don't want you doing that. Why? Because you're not good at it. But I just don't even need you to even, like, I'm not even going to consider you for the job because it's not, you know, I can hire somebody else to do that great, right? Uh, I let somebody else balance my checkbook, dude. I, I do not need to spend time balancing my checkbook and stuff like that. Um, now, that, that, that you know, you, you learn what your skills are. But I think you're able to learn your skills. It's safer to learn your skills on somebody else's platform. 
Hmm. Especially if you can find a really good boss, which is so fucking hard to do nowadays. Okay, there's no such thing as mentors. There's no such things as responsible bosses. Really sad, really. Um, And by that, I mean, hey, I'm going to give you a review today and I'm going to go ahead and let you go. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I can't tell you the amount of partners I have had, in particular in this last business. You know, we get disgruntled with somebody. Hey, let's go correct him, man. Let's tell him he doesn't show up on time. He drinks too much and he doesn't have enough meetings. And see if he can correct. No, 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 no. Just tell him that we want to do a partnership deal going forward. We can't afford him anymore. I'm like, you're not helping this person. He's going to be upset with us if we tell him the truth. He might be upset with me today, but five years from now, he'll call me and say, thank you. And I have an obligation as a boss to be honest. Hey, dude, you're in the wrong job. Um, and, and so that, that's what I would want. I would want someone, you know, if you don't like the way I did this podcast later, hey, call me, man. Tell me, what did I do wrong? Uh, correct. You can correct me in public right now. I, I can handle it. Um, so, so, you know, but I also think it, it, it depends on what industry you're in. I happen to go into industries that are so large that it's not feasible that I can do this myself, man. I mean, I have one business. It's called Node 40. I just, I, I'm so excited about this business. What, what started to be one vertical has moved from one vertical with accounting and tax professionals, 43,000 firms, to now every enforcement agency in the world, IRS, DOJ, SEC, Interpol, Inland Revenue. Then there's the ultra wealthy direct family offices. And this is related to accounting for digital assets. Yeah, this is related to this blockchain play. Okay, it's a big data analytics play on digital assets. Uh, Digital assets is your audience will hear cryptocurrency. I didn't say that. I said digital assets. Mm -hmm. I noticed noticed you didn't say that. Is there a reason you... Is yeah, because, because it applies to more things. Cryptocurrency is a broken term. Stable coins is a lie. Uh, is a lie. Okay, there's no such thing as a stable coin. There's a linked coin. Let's call it right. linked coins. That way, every investor knows. Oh, it's linked to something, and then they'll be asking a question. Hey, what's right. it linked to? It's linked to the uh, dollar, but the but dollar stable. is not stable. <laughs> but stable. Well, yeah, even the stable coin's not stable. But you know, just hey, let's be honest about what these are. Um, some of these markets, so if they're look, look, if you want to get into Bitcoin blockchain, you don't need to build a business. You can just go buy Bitcoin. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think Bitcoin has an 8x from here over three years. So when I think about deploying capital, first off, it has to exceed that 8x. And reduce my regulatory or underlying commodity risk. That's what Node 40 actually did for me because I have a very large crypto position. I have a, I have a lot of BTC, not nearly enough in my opinion. Uh, and so I'm in that space, but Bitcoin is its own asset class. It has been validated as a commodity, not a security. The All the other tokens, I think most of them are trash. Uh, you might as well go to 7-Eleven and buy the little scratchies. Fucking no different. Okay, uh, the lottery ticket is absolutely no different. 
I just, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it, do whatever you want to do. I just don't think it's a great investment strategy. Uh, and then there's blockchain. Those are three industries, three very distinct industries. Now, the digital asset industry, I believe in the next less than 10 years, could be less than five, that everything that you and I do is going to be tracked, measured, accounted for. We're not going to be buying Zoom for months at a time. We're going to buy everything as we need it. We're going to be a rental society. Prices are going to change very, very, uh, a tremendous amount. Uh, I would like to see crude oil around $300 a barrel. I'd like to see gasoline at about $12 a gallon. And I'd like to see power prices about 300% more than they are. And then you and I will turn our laptop computers off at night. And we will not drive to the store for a pack of cigarettes. And that is what's happening right now in every country in the world. We don't turn our computers off. We don't turn TVs off. We have to have instant on everything. And we will drive to the store for a loaf of bread. And that tells me the energy is too cheap. I haven't turned off a computer. I can't tell you how long, dude. Okay, mm-hmm. so if energy was priced correctly, we'd be turning this stuff off like bang, bang, right? So we use a vehicle, a car is 4% utilization. Houses are the worst investment in history. Okay, for any of your, don't, don't buy a house, dude. Rent, rent a damn house. Your ego wants you to own the house. And just remember to remind your ego, you don't own the house even if you pay cash for it. You have to pay the tax. So uh, I think the whole world changes, man. Here I am, an old man teaching the you young guys, dude, this is going to digitize, okay? It's a slippery slope, okay? Water drop, water drop, water drop, all of a sudden big old waterfall. This happens like instantly, though. It's gravity, and you have to start looking around going, Jesus, man, what's happening here? Add to that dynamic, probably got 20 trillionaires sitting on the planet. They're all in their 30s, dude. The U.S. government, nor any other government, nor any other corporation, or any of their enforcement authorities has ever dealt with this. Do, do you know what a trillion dollars, like, like I, I, I'm, worth, I'm worth $50 billion, let's say, uh, I think I'm going to deploy 49. I'm not giving 49 billion to charity. I'm going to give 49 billion to industries to knock all the bad players out. All the naughty players, all the little monopoly boys, all the guys in their clubs, just fuck every market up. No one has ever seen this kind of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. If Twitter, like I bought Dogecoin. Okay. Now I'm going to get a bunch of grief from the maxis for buying Dogecoin. But I bought Dogecoin as a total lottery ticket thinking, I think I know what Elon's going to do with Twitter. Was it recently you did that? Yeah. 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 Because, well, secondly, I checked with my brother. I think he'll agree with me. If you asked me to participate in the Twitter uh, purchase at $44 billion, I would. And I think it's grossly overpriced, but I would because the, this is the problem. And people don't think about game theory very much. Uh, at 44 billion, he has to do some really crazy shit to pull this off. Okay, mm-hmm. And one of those is going to be, hey, let me go attack Visa and MasterCards 
45 and 51% net operating margins, which everybody in business understands this is not, uh, should not be happening. Okay. If the, if the regulators were actually paying attention, they'd shut that monopoly, the, the duopoly down because it's just ridiculous margin. Uh, I mean, the poor companies can't even buy anything because they're all dilutive because their earnings are so tremendous. But see, I don't think it's just a question of time as, you know, when their market share starts to fall. My experience with these markets is that they don't fall gently, gently, that that 51 percent margin. You just wake up one morning and go, oh, wow, it's now 30. Okay, like it just changes. Poof. Because blockchain, many people have misunderstood this. Blockchain and Bitcoin are like heavy, heavy gravity, water or mercury. When you flow it into an industry, it is going to seek out the lowest point with the biggest gaps. When blockchain was first discussed, people were saying, oh, it's going to go after the, 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 uh, the grocery store packer. No, dude, it's going to go after the surgeon. It's not going to go after the cheap stuff. It's going to go after the most expensive value equations in our in our uh, worlds. And it's going to fill those up first. The guinea pig who taught the robots how to do the surgery will be the grocery store guy. But he's just the guinea pig. That's not a market. Right. The market's like automobiles. Hey, let's get rid of the driver, the, the, the safety belt. Why do we have a safety belt and an airbag? Why? It's, it's silly. Okay. One day, one day we're not going to have the safety belt. Dude. You cannot have automated cars, a safety belt and sensors in a seat that can pick up if you're eight pounds or 80 pounds and the can pick up the signal from the force of the collision. So here we are 50 years. This is a beautiful analogy. 50 years it took us. We argued speed limits, hey, force people, click it or ticket, right? Billboard. We spent money on billboard. There's no reason to have a seatbelt in the car, did Okay. Ask Elon. Google Elon and safety belts and airbags. So they got this shit down to the ounce, man. Um, so, so, and the reality is you have everybody driving, looking at their iPads or their phones, completely disrespecting any kind of like safety. So the whole industry is telling you, we want to sit in our car and do what the fuck we're doing and not be responsible for driving it. The, the world is literally telling you, yeah. hey, this is where we I, I have a Tesla. That's my favorite thing is just to put the autopilot on and <laughs> now I don't have to drive anymore. Yeah. So you're not going to want to, you know, I've got one daughter driving. My, my 14-year-old, she's like, I don't want to drive it. It looks like a pain in the ass. So, you know, if, if you look at all this, you'd be really blind or very married to the past not to see what's happening here. This is the change that the likes, I don't think anyone on this planet's ever experienced because it's happening all at one time from multitude of vectors. Um, I mean, there's no vector that's not uh, coming in on this. It's almost like a 
it's almost like a cyclical cleansing, like a seasonality thing on a really long scale. If you look, if you pull yourself back from it far enough, you start like, hey, is there something else going on that would convalesce all this at one time? Because this is not one thing. If people look at Bitcoin, they go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Then you look at blockchain. Then you look at medicine. Then you look at communication around the world, Starlink. You look at energy inputs, the cost, how much energy we leak. Uh, You look at war and you you say, oh, my gosh, all this stuff is convalescing together to make Bitcoin very relevant, to make digital assets a reality and to bring in the value of, hey, what, what is this blockchain and what's it about? You know, it's not. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say, hey, this old world is falling apart. The old world that we came from with thousands of institutional banks and issuing banks, it were it was awesome. OK, it was awesome for the technology we had which was a pencil, a piece of paper, a ruler, and a ledger. Okay? And then we could move these ledgers around. The Pope would send his ledger to the, the Bank of England, and they'd do their little deal. Now we have computers, we have compression, we have wireless technology, and we have phones and connectivity for 8 billion people. To think that the old world was going to make the journey like the uh, horse and buggy did not make the journey, man. Okay, when we started building the infrastructure to deal with the Ford car that had those funky tires on it, once you started building the infrastructure, the horse and buggy was going to die. Okay, so you you like these two worlds will live. Together, they're, they're going to, you know, decentralize, centralize. They're going to live together for quite some time, I think, somewhere between three and 10 years. And then you're going to just start to see the old world start to be really bottom of the barrel type activities or stuff that no political entity wants to put on the public blockchain, which will be most all political entities. And guess what will happen to them? If I was younger, literally in three years, I would run on one. I would run for the president of the United States on one thing. I will put at least 30 percent of the entire government spend on the public blockchain. People would be like, whoa, audit it every fucking 10 minutes. OK, let's all put it on. I'd probably get shot, but I would. <laughs> hey, people would vote for me. OK, and then they would yeah. become really clear on what. Oh, that's what the blockchain is. That that's what the blockchain is. See, the, these digital guys have been trying to explain all this to the consumer using really fancy language instead of just saying, hey, look, it's just a pencil and some columns. OK, they're a ledger. The yeah. Pope used to keep theirs. And we found out they were changing it every now and then. Funny that, huh? Public blockchain is, hey, wouldn't you guys like to know what we're spending money on at NASA? Or, uh, okay, got it. We're not going to put it on the public blockchain if it's the CIA. I got that, okay, or nuclear. But all the pencils the government buys clearly could be put on blockchain. All the yeah. secretaries, okay, all the people. Uh, there's a lot of shit that could be put on the public blockchain. Um, and the resistance to that 
will show us going back to the very first thing. Hey, what do people do when they have a club? They close the doors. When you have a club, you close the doors. When you believe in open source, open source Bitcoin, open source blockchain, you believe in the doors are open and available for everyone. It is very difficult for me to explain to anyone why someone would say, hey, I want to play in a market that is closed versus one that's open source. Really? Why, why, would, you, why would you want to go to a grocery store, no matter what the price is, that was only available to certain people? Uh, like, I know those clubs, okay? I'm not going to get invited to those clubs, and I don't want to be invited to those clubs. So uh, I like the whole concept of open source and, and, and transparency. And that should say a lot about my own ethics, right? See, that's the other thing. Like, oh, wow, you're bringing ethics into this too. Because why, what reason would anyone have for having anything off the ledger, open ledger? Because you don't want to try to hide it. Yeah. Maybe competitive forces. See, I don't even care about the competitive stuff. I'm like, I can compete with anybody. Let's bring it, man. Bring it. There's no, there's no shortage. There's 8 million people. Remember, any U.S. business has ever, has ever, like, oh, I'm a U.S., I'm focused on the U.S. market. Okay, well, your biggest market's going to be about 70 million people. It's never going to be bigger than that. Yeah, Eight billion people, did So, like, I could go on, I could go on Twitter today and talk about poo and get a following. Uh, like, it's eight billion people. There will be a few people that are interested in that topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, is it sustainable, you know, renewable? Can you keep it going? Can you keep growing at some reasonable rate of growth? You cannot grow forever. Uh, but now that you brought your growth rate up, because you, you brought that up, uh, the cool thing about Bitcoin, blockchain, and the digital asset world is what kind of penetration do we have right now? Less than one half of one half percent. Hmm. So... What, you think that's just not going to go anywhere? You, you, yeah. you really think that... How, how long until all 8 billion people are, know what the blockchain is and are you know, affected by it daily? Well, let me ask you a question. Since you're a Tesla owner, <laughs> do you know how the Tesla works? Never uh, looked into it. You just told me that... You get in your car and you fly down the road 70 miles an hour, sticking it on. You have no fucking clue how it works. You don't need to know how blockchain works. Dude. Yeah. Eight billion people do not need to know anything. All they need to know is two things. Do I want to put my money sitting in political currency? People in the financial industry uses fiat. Let's call it what it really is. It is political currency. Do you want to have your money sitting in one big bank or 10 big banks with a political currency? They can change the rules anytime they want. If you have the option to also have some banking in an open source bank that has no third party risk whatsoever, zero. You cannot say that about any of the banking you have right now. It has risk. Why wouldn't you want to take a little piece of yourself and take a dollar out of the hundred dollars and put it into this 
distributed, secure, never been violated. You get to be your own bank for some portion of it. Um, everybody has a computer. There's thousands of computers. It's being audited every 10 minutes. Where's the downside on this trade? Right. Oh, it's really volatile. Uh, excuse me, but Wells Fargo is volatile too. I mean, they get fines every year. Mm. Uh, and it's, it is volatile. Okay. That product is volatile, but it's up 142% over 12 years every year. So I'll take that ball. I would love that volatility. It's not like I look at my 401k every day and go, Ooh, should I liquidate my 401k? Nobody does that. Look at this is a storing uh, value. Like I don't want my fiat, my political currency to continue to erode. I have no choice in the matter, either inflation or the degradation of the underlying currency just continues to degrade. Uh, the cool thing about Bitcoin is there's 17 million units. Uh, there's not going to be more than 21 million ever. If you die with your Bitcoin, it actually helps me because you just remove some supply. Remember my supply and demand? Everything mm -hmm. about every business for me is supply and demand driven. If I can't understand supply and demand, I will not play. And uh, you tell me, now, now you tell me, I'll, I'll ask the question, when does a 1% of 8 billion people, that would be 80 million people, when do they buy one dollar or dollars of Bitcoin? And then if you want to really go through a really interesting exercise, take the 406,000 ultra wealthy, that's defined as 50 million or more, two and a half million, ask any ultra wealthy guy, hey man, what's gonna, if you're gonna go invest in another area of your 50 million, it's gonna be two and a half million at least, okay? They're not, they don't do 50,000, like they don't do that. So 400,000 people doing two and a half million. And then you got 62 million millionaires. And let's say they each buy one Bitcoin, $35,000 out of a million. That's, that, that's a reasonable attribution, right? It's not, mm -hmm. they're not gonna go broke if they lose it. You start doing this math, you're like, oh, my God, Bitcoin is a store of value likes that we've never had an opportunity on. This isn't gold, dude. If $5,000, gold's trading at $2,000, right now. If gold is trading at $5,000, every Indian on the planet would melt their jewelry. Okay. Uh, and, and that would put 40% of the supply back on the market. If five grand, I think you'll mine the shit out of it. Like you'll figure out how to find, you know, gold in other areas. They'll get smarter. $10 crude oil showed the oil companies how to frack and turn one platform into 12. Uh, now, granted, they didn't like being at $10 very long, but guess what they did? They kept drilling. You know why? Because people that drill holes in the ground, drill holes in the ground. Their job wasn't drill holes in the ground when the prices are right. Bitcoin miners aren't going to, oh, I mine when the price is right. So we have a we have a really interesting uh, pivot moment in our world, and that allows anyone that's listening to this podcast to become president, prime minister, a billionaire, a trillionaire, 
uh, a great soldier, a great artist, a great entrepreneur, or a, 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 you know somebody that's joined an entrepreneur and they're like, hey, he's my general, dude. I, I'm going to work in this military. Right? Like there aren't an unlimited number of generals on this planet. Okay, most people aren't designed to be a general, and and you still have to go through the soldiering. You, you ask any West Point Navy SEAL guy, hey, man, who is the best general you've ever worked for? Career soldiers, dude. Who is the worst general you've ever worked for? Fucking politician. Politician. <laughs> that was given the goddamn job and never, doesn't even have a broken in, you know, thing of boots. Okay, so, and you founders out there, okay, I, I have all these analogies, but you founders out there, look, I'm going to use an analogy that I just figured out that was, okay, this works. The Barrett 107, uh, M107 is one of the finest 50 caliber sniper weapons in the world. I mean, I have one. It's, it's, it's awesome. And it's a fucking heavy. Um, and, and they spent, you know, the guy that built that piece of kit, he was the machinist, the metal guy. He understood pressures. They then went to a glass guy who worked on the scope, right? And that glass guy knows more about scopes and refraction and more pressures. Why is it that they go hire a guy to test the weapon? So the guy that built the weapon knew all the engineering specs, was the founder, hands his baby over, to an 18-year-old guy who's got a, a, the ability to breathe differently than you and me, and he's the shooter. So when you're a founder and you have a great idea, look in the mirror and ask yourself, hey, are you the shooter? Because mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of founders end up broke because their egos told them they needed to be the CEO. And I got to tell you, it's a huge mistake, man. You find somebody, find a shooter, man. Find a shooter and then find somebody that can deploy shooters uh, so that you can work in the background on your shit, like making it even better and better and better. And then the commercial guys, the salesmen who should be intelligence agents, I'm very military prone in my thought process. I think salespeople, if they were pitched as intelligence gathering entities and rabbit hunters, we'd have better sales. Because what are salesmen supposed to do? If you're a great business development guy or a sales guy, you should be feeding back positive data to your team about what the competition's doing and what the client base needs and wants. You know, improving the kill zone for the management. Hey, hey, we're just off track here. We just need to deviate just a little bit because the founders rarely really understand you know, they're building something and they don't they're not looking at the market. They're looking at their product. Right. Grant and I look at the market first. We don't go, hey, I want to build a bicycle. We actually look at the market and go, what kind of bicycles do people really want? Where's that puck going? Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's so, I, I've learned. Daughter. What, what was that? I said, is it too much random thought? Oh, uh, no, I, I've, I've learned a lot from this and, and it honestly explained Bitcoin, the blockchain much more to me. So I, I appreciate that. Just the, where you're breaking down how many wealthy people there really are in the world and how 
little Bitcoin they need to buy for it to actually be a big deal. That kind of blew my mind there. Uh, oh, when, you, when you do the math, you're, you're going to call me back and go, oh, my God. Dude. Yeah. Like this is really like you have to make some assumptions. It, how much of the millionaire is going to I think you, 35 grand, 62 million people put. Dude, there's not 62 million Bitcoin. Right. Okay, you understand that? 62 million global players. This is not a U.S. product. The United States of America could say, hey, we ban Bitcoin. Bitcoin's price would go up. The U.S. government has nothing to do with this product whatsoever. It's the first time I can think of any story where the U.S. and the U.S. user did not have a vote, a say, or any influence in this at all, man. None, zero. 62 million millionaires, not, they cannot all buy one Bitcoin. And that's assuming that the high, the, the high net worth guys don't beat the millionaires. The high net worth guys will beat every one of the millionaires there. Okay. I know they're already like, because I, I know how to survey markets. And the high net ultra wealth, dude, they're already there. And they're going to go in for more. It's what I call the overbanked. See, now, Bitcoin and blockchain community, they started this whole story. And they went, we're going to help the underbanked. Yeah, okay, I got it. There's four, 4 billion people that are underbanked. But typically people that innovate and make markets work, like buy Teslas, they're on the high end of the, the, the food chain. So my view is, no, no, rich people and institutions who are already overbanked, who have too much real estate or too much Bitcoin, maybe they have too much Bitcoin, they go, shit, I still like this crypto industry, though. The digital app, I'm going to buy into Node 40. I've, I don't have any commodity, underlying commodity risk. I have a picks and shovel type business that's serving the entire global demand for how do you track digital assets financially. So, yeah, I want to be a part of that industry, but I don't have any of the regulated, regulatory risk. If they make Dogecoin up illegal, I don't lose any money there. If the price goes to $12 on Bitcoin, they're still going to have to track and trace it and account for it. Um, so I think people are going to, you know, this is why they say in, the, in this industry, they go, hey, you get the price of Bitcoin you deserve. Because like you just had your aha moment go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Like guys like you, dude, like, you cannot miss this opportunity. Like I, at your age, if you bought $35,000 worth of Bitcoin, it is not going to change your life if it goes to zero. Like in mm. 10 years, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, dude, I, I wasted a bunch of $35,000 on a lot a holiday. Right. Mm-hmm. But but it could be a game changer if we're right. And then you have to ask yourself, why are so many people in this age bracket? Don't look at the young guys. I know why they're coming into space. But why are guys like me coming into it? Mm-hmm. there's dozens of us man and you know what we all know each other yeah okay like we can hey hey what are you saying dude but these are guys that see if this wasn't here i wouldn't i you one you and i wouldn't be talking i, I would not be mm-hmm. this excited and i would not be this excited i promise you this is the more you talk about how big this industry is going to be uh and that no 
prior skills were required. So, so the next time one of your buddies says, oh, you know, I'm not really doing well selling cars or like I'm unhappy. Like when was the last time you spent 25 hours studying a new industry? I do not know anyone who has studied this industry for 25 hours that don't invest massive amounts of money and time. Really fascinating. Four hours. I've, most people blow out. I'm out. Yeah. Understand? I'm out. I'm out. 25 hours and I can show you what to study. Like I would give you 100 Bitcoin if you diligently spent 25 hours and walked away from this industry. It is near impossible when you really understand what's happening and that had Bitcoin. This had to happen now. It could not have happened 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to have to wrap it up here. I mean, I I feel like we could go all day talking about this, but I, I really appreciate your time. I just wanted to uh, give an opportunity. Like, where's the best way for people to follow you along in the stuff that you're talking about with this? And uh, at, at, Yeah, at Gary Cardone on Twitter, at Gary Cardone, no spaces or anything. Be wary of people that try to dupe you. I'm not going to ask you for a date. I'm not going to ask you for Bitcoin. Okay, but this does happen. Um, at Gary Cardone, I think it's the same one on YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn at Gary Cardone. It's very easy. Any interest in Node40, Gary.Cardone at Node40. It's an institutional grade financial context tool that helps tax and accounting professionals and lawyers understand what you did or didn't do. Also help you. Uh, you need to be, you know, half a million dollar user or bigger in Bitcoin to really make sense out of us. Uh, we're, we're really for big companies, mostly big com- or really big players. Like I would be a great client for Node Party, and I am. Uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm open for reaches. If you guys got ideas or you're looking to do something. Uh, we're constantly, I'm constantly looking for people to hire that are great people. Uh, that want to join the Cardone venture team uh, and do things the way I've learned how to do them over 40 years. So uh, the problem is I can only take, you know, one to three people every two years for this. So it's not like there's, it's a huge commitment on my part. Um, So you got to really have the right guy, right person, girl or guy. Uh, But look, happy to help you, happy to help your your audience. And uh, anytime you guys want to talk about anything that I have value add on, let me know. I appreciate that so much. Uh, Gary, thank you for the time. To anyone listening, appreciate you. And we'll catch you on the next one.